I'm Sam Mitchell, and these are my stories. Hi, folks. Have a good day today, and let me the first welcome you to Autism Rocks and Rolls. Now, before we begin, I must out that I'm not a psychiatrist. If you're starting to be diagnosed with autism, please see a physician. At least based on my experiences. I also know on the right to the intro natural. They're found on manyringtones.com and ytmp3.com. They also have Mrs. Daylight to review with all of you. The mission of Autism Rocks and Rolls is to take the stigma off of autism and other conditions that many are disabilities. People on the spectrum are not broken and not need to be fixed. Those who have conditions or beliefs are not to be pitied. There's nothing to be sorry about. I also have some people I like to thank. As usual, I'd like to thank my latest guest, Brad Lokley, and C236, laughing out with Brad Lokley for more information. But what a great guy. They say never meet your heroes, but my heroes show that he is a hero. Thank you so much, Brad. Our ARAR summer party in August is coming up. Make sure to stay tuned for more information coming your way. That is not all that is happening in August, because on August 10th, I will be moving out and expanding my media knowledge while still doing this. Everyone wish me luck. Several Fridays ago, my friend Jen Hardy and I went live. When I went live with her, I was surprised to learn that I was the first recipient of the Good Human Award. The honor is given to individuals who may not be well-known, but yet contribute to society. I appreciate you presenting it to me, Jen, I will make sure to properly represent that honor. A further donation was made at ARAR. Two Turkish beach towels from SandCloud were given as a donation. Three friends founded SandCloud in sunny San Diego with the goal of modernizing the beach towel and donating a portion of every sale to organizations that support marine conservation in order to protect and preserve the beaches we love. They can be seen on Season 8 of Shark Tank. Thank you, SandCloud. Your beach towels and other products are a seller. As a result of me, we had with our ARAR Vice President Ryan Bruce, ARAR might be considering the idea of having an ARAR radio station watch this space for additional details however there is more because on wednesday we also had our post gala meeting to discuss what worked and what did not with our second arar gala great inspiration arar would appreciate any comment in addition i attended a speed networking session power connect speed networking through network lee exchange was the name of this one i had a great time and since the last episode i have been on the elevated perspective podcast with brian brown but that is not all because my mother c105 meet my mother was featured on the wickedly smart woman podcast with angie b hartwell what great podcast podcast everyone you guessed it folks we have another pro wrestling legend with me today we have buff bagwell with me debut in 1991 as marcus bagwell he was put in tag teams with the likes of two scorpio and the patriot however he got success in 1996 when he turned on scotty riggs and joined the nwo after that turn he has been in the ring with the best such as diamond dallas page goldberg and stott steiner he is on my show though because even though he made a career it did not come with all roses he has had to battle his demons of alcoholism and depression but thank to Diamond Dallas Page and Rehab, today he is clean and sober. As he stated, now it seems like I fill it with family, God, love, and sobriety. And I never replaced it with that void with those things before. So please help me welcome five-time tag team champion Buff Bagwell to Autism Rocks and Rolls. Buff, how are we doing, my man? Hey, how's it going, guys? Going great. So my first question to you is, what does being a recovering alcoholic and having depression mean to you? My actually walk with this the demon of alcoholism and depression was through a car accident. I had a car wreck August of 2020. It was a really bad car wreck that ended up ruining my right knee. My right patellar tendon on my right knee exploded. Your patellar tendon is your kneecap. So it's a very important thing you need in your leg to bend your knee and to work your leg. So it was a devastating, really horrible injury that I got really depressed about. I was really down about it. I couldn't get it fixed. Everywhere I went, they tried to do surgery on it, and the surgery went bad. I got staph in it real bad, which is a bad infection. And from that, because I had never 
really been truly depressed before. I was truly depressed. I was depressed about my leg, where I was at in life. I just wasn't in a good spot anywhere around. And I turned to drinking. It just got out of hand really fast. It seemed like when I was drinking, it just took all my worries away. And I started isolating. So Diamond Dallas Page and my niece, Jonna, and they came to me and said, look, you got to get your life straight. Before we can fix your knee, you've got to get straight. So I agreed. So August 2022, which is kind of weird, it worked out that way. That's my sobriety date is August 27th. Long story short was alcoholism got a hold on me and I became an alcoholic and I was also taking pills with it as well. It was just time for me to clean up. So I went to the North Georgia place called Black Bear Recovery and I got clean. So I'm eight months and two weeks sober. Congratulations, first of all. But you also said you would never forget your sobriety day. May I ask why? Your sobriety date is a big deal, man. I was able to do something on my sobriety date that I was not able to do for 20 years, and that is get sober. You never ever forget your birthday. So getting sober is kind of like your birthday. It's the day you're starting over. Your brain's working again. Everything's really in a good place. It's your sobriety birthday. So what advice would you give to others who are going through alcoholism and depression? The advice I'd give to anybody that's going through the demons I went through, don't try to do something different. Do what you see works. Find somebody that you know, like Buff Bagwell or somebody that tells you what worked for them. I thought to be a leader with this and being something different and leading and showing somebody a different way to get sober would be the way to do this, but it's not. You need to follow somebody. I followed Diamond Dallas Page's plan he had with Jake Roberts. And Jake's been eight years clean now. So I follow what they did. I have the same support team, which is headed by Steve Yu, the president of DDPY. And he's also a great friend of mine and headed with my niece, Jonna. They're a great support team. And it takes a support team and aftercare. Aftercare is what you do after the 30 days of rehab. I went to four other rehab in, the, in my life. And each time I did that, on day 31, I was right back to the grindstone, right back to wrestling again, right back to working out. And you were back to being Buff Bagwell. It was like you marked Bagwell straight to Buff again. Very good. Great example. I was Mark Bagwell. I was Buff Bagwell. I, I was trying to be Mark and get sober. And I was just right back into the Buff Bagwell calendar, right back to drinking and pills again. You got to take that aftercare. So I did 30 days at Black Bear and then day 31. I was in aftercare treatment, IOP, intensive outpatient is what it's called. And it's just a place called Tangu in Marietta. And so I went 90 days there. So before I could even think, I was 120 days sober. And when you get 120 days sober, instead of just being 30 days sober, your brain just really in a lot better place. You just don't want to mess it up. You're actually proud of what you've done. Now I'm like ecstatic about what I've done. And I got so much going good for me. It becomes like a fun little video game. I'm trying to make being sober cool. And being sober is cool. New Year's Eve, I watched the Georgia Bulldogs play Ohio State. And at the bowl in Atlanta here, I think it was the Citrus Bowl. It was like a playoff game for the in the college playoffs. The game that Georgia won 42-41 or 41-40. It was one point for sure. That happened right at midnight. And I will never forget that New Year's. I mean, it was incredible. It was unbelievably great. So I'll never forget that, man. And so if I'd have been drinking and partying, I'd have forgot that. Follow somebody that's gotten sober and you'll get sober. Oh, I know someone who's gotten sober. Have you heard the song Paralyzer by Finger Eleven? 
Have you by chance yeah. heard of that? Their drummer, Rich Beto, and for the listeners, C225 giving the beat to Rich Beto, but he's battled alcoholism and has a son, the autism spectrum. So that's how I got to know him. But he has these merchandise. It's really cool. I think it's brand new and it's sober AF. And you know AF, what it stands for. I clearly can't say because I'll get in trouble, but it's sober AF and it's like a hat. I'm trying to make a shirt, I think. It's pretty cool, man. You should check out their merchandise. I will. I like it. Now, you got to talk to you about your time in the NWO. So did you make any pals while in the NWO? Oh, man, we were just like brothers. We couldn't get any closer than we were. I mean, with wrestling, there's so many egos and so many politics and so much backstabbing stuff that goes on. But, man, during that run, the WCW guys were really great friends. I mean, we all liked each other. We all loved each other. And we built the WCW from nothing to being the top wrestling in the nation. And we were. We were number one. It is it really is. Full because you even had pay-per-views. I saw on when it says Wikipedia, like list of pay-per-view events, they were highlighted NWO colors because there was like NWO branded. And I was like, you don't call that successful? Are you kidding me? It was such a big deal that our action figures, I wore NWO on where my belt buckle goes. On all of my tights, my whole career. It either said buff right there or it said NWO. And at the beginning, it was NWO. Then I switched it just to buff. But on pictures you see out, a lot of times nothing will be at my belt buckle because they didn't know if they were allowed to put NWO on my pictures because I was WCW branded. It was a real controversy on NWO or WCW. I mean, not just on TV, not just in the storyline. It was factually a big deal they had to overcome in the company to be proven what was right and wrong with taxes and write-offs and getting checks and money. If you had a pick, what's the most comical NWO moment, either from on camera or behind the camera? Don't matter. Just has to be with the NWO. Off and on camera, one of the most funniest was definitely the Four Horsemen skit. When we did the Four Horsemen skit where I was Kurt Henning and... X-Pac was Ric Flair, and Kevin Nash was Arn Anderson, and it was just really a great, great, great little skit, but it got a lot of heat. The Four Horsemen guys were really mad about it, and Rick was upset about it, Arn was upset about it, and I understood why, but I didn't think of it. We kind of got blamed by dogging the Four Horsemen out, but I thought that was a really funny that everybody should have enjoyed. That's kind of ridiculous, kind of get mad at it. I mean, did you cross any lines, you think? I'm going to try and look at it from both sides, because I feel it'd be kind of ridiculous to get mad at that stuff since you know you're a wrestler and you're gonna get made fun of behind the camera and on camera because if it's right make fun of that i'd probably be laughing my pants i'd be like yeah that's probably true actually to me if you're telling the truth that's not crossing lines we told the truth about what everybody was doing and out of that came like heat all we did was exaggerate the truth a little bit and made it a little funny but the guys got a little sensitive about it didn't meet at the square circle expo so just briefly what were your first thoughts of me after i met sabu i thought you were a great kid spoke very well about what you were doing you were very professional i do not do podcasts for free i just don't do that not because i'm trying to be ugly or trying to do anything it's just everything i do sam i pour my heart into a hundred percent and i've done podcasts for free several times when i first started doing them at the end of them i put so much energy in them that it just wasn't worth it. so i charge i don't charge a crazy price but i charge two hundred dollars for all my podcasts but when you came up i was not going to charge you to do what you were doing because it was so special what you're doing. You're a kid that really 
is trying to do something different and do something special. And I thought that was very impressive. So I did your podcast without charging you a dime because I just think you're a good kid and I want to be part of it. Well, first of all, thank you so much. And honestly, it's kind of like that from the get-go because I've always wanted to like help out, do something good for the world, making a difference, like whether it be make a wish or something just good to help out a community that needs help. But I never had an opportunity to until this right. came along. And what happened with Sabu, by the way? Is he okay? I think he's okay. Somebody said he just got back from a long trip. Well, he was just tired. He was jet lagged. But I heard his heart. Maybe something was wrong with his heart, but I don't think so. I think maybe he was just... I think he may have just got his time mixed up with, I mean, a red-eye flight or something. I think he was just tired. That makes you feel a little better. Now, you did say, though, that your alcohol issues made you lonely. So when did you start seeing that your alcohol issues made you feel lonely? Pretty quick. And, I mean, I understand why now. But looking back on it then, I didn't understand why I was by myself. They didn't want to be around me drinking. They were just tired of seeing me kill myself. I wouldn't listen to nobody. So what happens to people that drink or take drugs, they isolate and you just seem to go off to yourself. I wanted to be in my house by myself, nobody bothering me and just drinking. And then I couldn't help but keep to trying to work out and trying to keep my hygiene and shaving and clean and trying to keep tan and trying to keep my buff bagel body up. But it, you stop caring and you just start drinking more and more. So you just isolate. And that's what I did. I isolated and I just stayed drunk. And then finally, my niece and Diamond Dallas Page came to me and there was just time to clean up. Right. You talked about your niece a lot. You said like the IDDP kind of stated that if you did one thing right, it was being with that niece. What's so special about your niece, bro? She's a special girl, buddy. First of all, let me say that's my brother's daughter. She's my niece on paper. But in life, she's really my daughter because I raised her. So I stepped in and did what my brother wouldn't do, which is raise a daughter. And don't get me wrong, my brother has five children. He's got five kids. So one of his wives, he's got three children with, which he's married to now. He's got a great family, but he's got two other children that he did not take under his roof. And I'm not here to judge anybody, not even my own brother, but couldn't allow her just to be out there by herself. So I stepped in and, and took her under my wing like she was my daughter. Fast forward 20 years, she remembered that. And really thought it was a great thing that I did and saw what I did by stepping in and being father and trying to be Buff Bagwell. Buff Bagwell on the road and, and trying to keep all that up and keep traveling and working out and staying in shape. At the same time, all of a sudden, I'm a father. So there was a lot going on and I did it really well. And then when she had a chance to pay back, she paid back by helping her Uncle Mark, Buff Bagwell. She did so and she was a great girl for doing it. She's a great, great person, man. She is Beautiful inside and out. Wow, man. I mean, I'm proud of you for stepping in because you didn't have to, but you chose to. I mean, yeah. that that's saying something right there. Thank you. Of course. Now, you did collaborate with a lot of tag teams, like you're a five-time tag team champion. So out of your partners, who is your favorite to hold the WCW tag team champions with? That's a tough one. I get asked that a lot. And over the last few years, I've kind of been able to pick one. It's really hard to do, though. I mean, you got to realize... Me and Too Cold was Tag Team of the Year. I was also Rookie of the Year um, that same year. So, and that was my first World Tag Team title. So that was huge. And all of a sudden, you step in, and my second tag team was Stars and Stripes. And we won the belts twice, two titles. And then you got Scotty Riggs. Me and Scotty Riggs won the belts also. So it's a big deal, man, to win the World Tag Team titles, especially with Dale Wilkes winning them twice. But I would like to think that the American Males was probably the best one because it was more of 
the character I wanted to be, which was Buff Bagwell. The American Males was the earrings and the chokers and the tattoos and cool, looked good. It was just more of what I was looking for as being a pro wrestler. Speaking of Buff Bagwell, let's talk about him a little bit. So how would you describe the character Buff Bagwell and Buff Bagwell's ring style? Buff Bagwell is like a Marcus Alexander Bagwell just turned wide open. A crazy, exaggerated version of myself. And if you really look at all of our characters in the pro wrestling world, that's all all of us are. He's Dwayne Johnson turned wide open, so he's The Rock. You know, Steve Austin is just turned wide open, and he's Stone Cold. Flair, same thing. Diamond Dallas Page, same thing. You just turn it wide open, and that's the character you get. I think, though, in wrestling, there's not as much as that anymore. I think it's starting to dwindle down a little bit. I see like these characters, like sometimes they're a pirate, like a party guy named Adam Rose, who I actually liked, but I could tell that wasn't him. It just wasn't Adam Rose turn up a notch. Keep in mind, the reason why we still go to autograph signings and people still come out and see us, it's still a big deal. We're still big names and people still want to see us and get our autographs and you get to meet us and talk to us and stuff. So we really enjoy doing that. And I love the fans. I love people. I am a people person, man. I love people. You'd be like one of my latest wrestlers on the show, Victoria. You'd be surprised though, because she plays that psychotic character, but she's not like right. that in Out of the Ring. She's phenomenal. Cool. But you're talking about autograph signing. Why do you enjoy doing autographs? You get out to sign autographs. You get to meet people and you get to talk to them and, and really get to share with them a little something. I'm just not there going through the mood. I'm there really meeting them, really remembering Sam's name, really remembering his mom, remembering the people I shook hands to and saying hello and being genuine from the heart. Not because I have to be, because I want to be, because I like people. I like people and I like talking to them and I love, I love talking about wrestling. Right. And I like people to an extent. So going two days at that expo, I would not be able to do it. I won't lie to you because for me, I have real bad social anxiety. So I have to mentally prep, you know, like for socializing, like even with my buddies, I still have to do like a little bit of mental preparation. Like, just hope you don't say anything wrong. You're doing well for yourself, you know, just because I, just that nervousness gets to you. For me, I find strength and calmness with sharing with people. Now, if I think about it or I go over what we're going to talk about in a podcast or something, I get a little more nervous because I don't like doing that. I like just to hit play, match record and put the camera on me, man. And that works for me. I mean, I can't tell you the times I have not even seen where the ring was at a building and get ready and go out there and, and give an incredible performance because I just ad-lib to life. I mean, I always needed to know where the hard camera was. And after I knew where the hard camera was, which is the main camera, that's the camera always in my circle. And when I came back in, it was right back to that hard camera. But that's all I ever knew. So you're a guy who thinks in pictures. Yes, uh, that, and that's fine. You do. My dad and for the listeners, C-113, father and son, Chad, but he's a thinker in pictures. Then my grandfather and C, for the listeners, 122, meet Big Joe, but he's another guy who's a thinking pictures type of guy. And sometimes it's hard to do because I'm a word guy. Like I explain like in depth, like you have a three page paper on the explanation with me. And sometimes it's like, how else can I explain this to you? But then I remember you thinking pictures. So let me just show you then instead of just tell. Yeah, I'm very visual. Yeah, I am visual too, to a point. Right. But I prefer sometimes audio and ex explanations. Depends on what it is. Now, you did create one of the cool moves in wrestling, the Blockbuster. So how did the buff Blockbuster come to be your finisher? I was a big Rick Rude fan. He was fantastic. He looked incredible. He was a great wrestler. He was tough. He was bad. He was good looking. He was in shape. He was a man's man. And I just loved him. When it came time for a finishing move, 
he was on the end of his kind of his career. So I thought I could maybe take his finishing move called the rude awakening, but I didn't want to copy it exactly. So I had to come up with my own version of it. And when I turned on Scotty Riggs, the night I joined the NWO, I hit Scotty Riggs with a rude awakening and I turned Scotty, did the rude awakening. But from there, I needed to think of a cooler way to do it. So I thought, why not do that? off the ropes. The top rope was a little too high to do the blockbuster with. So you did it off the middle rope. The middle rope was better. It was quicker and a better way to do it. And the first time I ever tried it, me and Scotty Riggs wrestled a singles match. Buff Bagwell's very first match was in Cedar Rapids, Iowa at sold out against Scotty Riggs. It was a pay-per-view. And me and Scotty at the hotel room the night before, we went over the move. We practiced it on hotel beds. We kind of took the fall and kind of practiced the move. And then we got to the building and Scotty goes, hey, do you want to go over your move? And I go, I go, ah, I've got it, man. So the first time that the world saw the blockbuster was the very first time I tried it. Again, I didn't practice things. I just went out and did it. Disco Inferno is who named that name. Where did Disco Inferno get the name Blockbuster from? I'm just curious about that. I don't know, man. He's who created it. It was called the Buff Blockbuster. And wrestling still calls it the Blockbuster, but they don't call it the Buff Blockbuster. I know. They need to call it the Buff Blockbuster because I see Seth Rollins use it. Finn Balor, I think, used it once, too, maybe. He sure does. A lot of guys use it. The Acclaim uses it. And there was someone else. I knew there was someone else who used it, but I remember seeing all the time Seth going to that rope and hitting Blockbuster. So yeah. that's the one that kind of hit me on the head right there. Sure. He knows who Buff Bagwell is. <laughs> exactly. So now what about your hat? The hats are pretty cool, first of all, I got to admit, but when the heck did you decide to start bringing a top hat to the ring? I'm a big ball cap guy. I like ball cap. During the 90s, when wrestling was going on, a company came out called Lids, and they were a hat company in, in malls. And I would go to those malls, and I'd go through there, and I'd, I'd buy a lot of cool hats. And during that time, there were hats that had, like, Japanese sayings on them that on the back of the hat right here was what it meant. Like, I had one hat that was a yellow one that had a, it's like a Japanese writing on the front, and on the back it said, it said cow, and it was the California bears, and what the Japanese term was, it meant bear. They had those kind of cool hats. Well, one day doing all, looking at buying some new hats, my ex-wife, she said, hey, let's try that top hat on. And we were just kind of laughing and cutting up. And I thought, let me try it on. So I put this top hat on and it looked incredible. I was like, man, that looks really good on me. And she goes, you should buy that. I go, for what? And she goes, I don't know. It just looks good on you. So I bought the hat. Then I break my neck. From breaking my neck, I got more creative because I needed to come up with things to keep me popular. After I broke my neck, that's where the overalls came from. That's where the top hat came from. That's where I got real creative because I was trying to be funny or cool by what I wore and things I did on TV. So I stayed popular. And that's what I did. Now, folks, we right back around here and add from the Doug Flutie Junior Autism Foundation. So let's get to it. At the Doug Flutie Autism Foundation in Massachusetts, people are receiving hope. The organization was established in 1998 by Doug Flutie, former quarterback for Boston College and the NFL, and his wife, Lori, in the memory of their son, Dougie, who was diagnosed with autism at the age of three. The goal of the Flutie Foundation is to improve the quality of life for those with autism and their families. The biggest action they like to do is give grants and host their annual Stars on the Spectrum golf event. Our goal is to offer chances for physical and social activity outside of work or school, a path for education or employment during the day, and the resources needed to always feel safe, 
supported and informed, the Doug Flutie Jr. Foundation says. Make sure to visit them on their website, www.flutiefoundation.org. That's www.flutiefoundation.org. Or follow them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or even YouTube to see all the stars they have to offer. And you never know, you might be able to meet one of their stars if you are so kind they allow you to do so. Finally, if this was a testimony, this would be my testimony for the Doug Jr. Autism Foundation. All right, folks, we're back. And yes, you'll definitely might get to meet Doug Flutie. You never know. Buff, I do want to talk to you about something I learned. You had this called PAUSE, which for the listeners who don't know, post-acute withdrawal system. So why don't you educate me a little more on PAUSE? How do you know about PAUSE? The interview. That's really cool, man. Through um, you. Through you. Yeah, absolutely. Pause is a really, really cool thing that I learned this go around. I'm not sure if they have been teaching it before, but if I learned about pause, P-A-W-S, I would have probably got sober 10 years ago. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it meant. What it means is they say, and we've learned that in rehab, when you're getting clean, that up to 18 months after day one of being sober, you can still have a withdrawal symptom. You can have watery eyes or runny nose or a sneeze or sweaty or shaking. Withdrawal symptoms are horrible. Everybody hates them. But if you know that it could just be pause, post-acute withdrawal symptoms, you're not going to get upset and relapse. I can't tell you the times that I know I felt like a withdrawal come up and get mad and take a Xanax because I had this withdrawal that I didn't know may not have been a true withdrawal. Could have just been pause and I'm going to breathe a little bit and just chilled out a little bit, calm down, and it would have gone away. Instead, I got mad and took a Xanax. And all of a sudden, you're right back to them taking your medication again and you're bad again. And yeah, I think that's very important for those right now who are struggling with alcohol that when you're done, you're done. Don't think like, oh, you're done. Oh, shoot, I'm going back to the way I was. It's very easy to do. People think, oh, man, just one more. I can drink normal this time. I can only take a couple of pills this time. It don't work. It's a trick, man. Just don't do it. My life's much better being sober. I'm much happier. I'm in a better place. I feel great. I look good. I just feel fantastic. I can tell that. So you are, what I've heard, a certified massage therapist. How did that come up? Wow. Very good. I mentioned before, I think, that my parents were very well off. Uh, I came from a very rich family at a young age. My parents were owners of a, of a lumber company named Southeastern Building Supply. And it was back in the 70s and 80s. They owned it for 17 years. From 1971 to 1988, my parents ran this company. It was a multi-million dollar company. I was a very rich kid. Well, in 1988, I was 18 years old, graduating high school. My parents' company was going broke. And they asked the three boys, what do you guys want to do with your lives? And we were like, we don't know. I mean, God, I mean, I was 18. I'm the youngest of three. So my middle brother was like five years older than me. So he was 23, 24. And my oldest brother was probably 27. My oldest brother wanted a gym. So my dad bought him a gym. My middle brother wanted a drywall company. So my dad bought him a, a, a truck. I don't know what those trucks are called. And then I'm 18 years old. I have no idea what I want to do. But my whole life, we were going to work for our parents. I thought about it for a couple of days, and I thought I had a horrible grade point average. I was horrible in school. I went to school to play ball. That's it. I was all county, all state football and baseball. And I just did not want to do anything else but that and work for my parents. Well, all of a sudden, there is something I got to do. So what do I want to do? Well, thinking sports 
not having any kind of good grades at all, what was the way I could get in it now to be like a sports trainer or some kind of sports massage, anything sports. And I heard sports medicine. Well, the cheapest, easiest way to get to a sports medicine doctor is massage therapist. That's the cheapest, easiest way to get at least something under your belt to be something to do with sports. I just went to massage school, the Atlanta School of Massage, eight months to do the class. And no, it was 10 months, 10 months long. And I was a certified massage therapist when all was over. What's a little trick you show us with massages? I'm curious. I'm not sure I could show you anything, but I can tell you this. We had to take a full college prep anatomy physiology course we had to take a college full college prep that's veins bones muscles tendons ligaments i mean we had to pass a college prep course to be a massage therapist it was not a joke we were not masseuses anymore we were massage therapists and we had a license to do massage therapy. And so it was a really big deal in 1989 to do this. They were really trying to clean up the word masseuse. If you said the word masseuse at the Atlanta School of Massage, you got in bad trouble because they didn't like it. It was massage therapist was the word. And so I was a licensed massage therapist. So I graduated school thinking it was going to be my career. And I dove into getting a great job. And as soon as I do, I notice the first woman walks up my first appointment and she cancels. She walks out and I go, what happened? She goes, there's no way I'm taking my clothes off in front of you. I said, you don't take them off in front of me. I close the door to get under the sheets and then I massage you. You're covered up and you can keep anything on you want to keep on. But she was very uncomfortable. And I found out that that was the beginning of the end of my massage life because women were very uncomfortable to take their clothes off in front of me. I didn't see that coming. That's when I found Missy Hyatt, and she said, well, won't you be a pro wrestler? I went from being a graduate of the Atlanta School of Massage to a graduate of the World Championship Wrestling Club. Funny when you meet people that you don't know, and all of a sudden, boom, they're helping you out. It's crazy. Yeah, but you talked about earlier you didn't make good grades in school. I will let people know that that's okay, actually. Not the fact that I want them to try, clearly, but... College is not for everybody. My dad, the one you, the guy you just met for the listeners again, C-113, father and son chat, he didn't go to college. He went to a trade school. And one of my buddies, he hated school with a passion, hated it. <laughs> but he tried his best. But after uh, graduating, he went to work. And he's working a good job. I mean, that makes great money. So college isn't for everybody. I mean, I'm in college, but you don't have to be. Let me tell you something. College does not teach life. It just does it. My father was an excellent, excellent life coach. I learned more under my roof of my house than I could ever learn in four years of college. My father taught me how to pay the bills, how to work a thermostat correctly, how to turn water off that was being used, how to make money, how to save money, how to spend money. I learned so many life skills from being around my father and my mother that it was just something you can't teach in school. It's really hard to get a kid to try to do schoolwork that his parents don't push it. They pushed us having, you know, good grades. And that's all we did. We had decent grades and we graduated. I didn't feel like, I never felt a grade, neither one of my brothers, but we barely made it through because we didn't have to. We were going to go work for our parents' lumber yard. And with lumber, all you got to do is be good at math. And we were all great at math. We just really were good at math. And that's what we were. And my brothers took their math stuff and went to car dealerships and ended up being car salesmen and did it and made a bunch of money with that and did very well with it for years. And they still both do. Oh, boy. 
I'm not that good at math. We're the opposites on that spectrum, but I'm on a different plane. I'm the English nerd here. <laughs> I do need to talk to you about this. You got fired from WWE for the stupidest reason. I love WWE, but what the heck? For one bad match, really? Well, my question to you is, do you believe that? I think that was part of it, granted. I was never told that. And the story they don't get told is the night of that match, anybody that can watch that match back and say it's a bad match is, I'd have to ask him why. Because the only I can tell you why. You weren't buff. You were not buff. They told you, not look at the camera. Okay, you're going to lose buff right there. Exactly. So with that knowledge of knowing I can't be me and do the camera talk and all that, but the match itself, there was nothing wrong with the match. There was no missed punches. There was no fault in the match. The only thing that was wrong with the match was it just wasn't a good psychology match. But that would take a pro wrestler to judge that. It was a very smooth match. They had all the right parts. It just didn't have any storyline. And what the WWE don't say is that nobody talked to us about the match. The WWE, Johnny Ace was ahead of all 12 guys at WCW. And Pat Patterson is who does all the WWF at the time main events. Well, Pat Patterson thought that Johnny talked to us about the match. Johnny thought Pat talked to us about the match, but really nobody talked to us. So what happened is me and Booker just went out and did what we thought was right. And Stone Cold told us what he was doing at the end, but nobody of power told us what to do. And then all of a sudden, after I'm fired, it comes out that they fired me for this bad match. I was never told that. That was something I believe that podcast or something came up with. I really do. I even asked, I said, am I being fired? And they said, no, you're being released. And I said, what's the difference? And they had an answer. Yeah, is it? You're not putting me on camera anymore. Ain't that being the same as fired? They had an answer. And they said, if we fire you, we got to redo your contract. If we release you, we can bring you back in three months. Well, of course, I hope that that was true. I didn't think it was, but I said, well, okay, I'm not getting fired. So as far as a professional thing goes, I was never told I was fired. I was told they were releasing me and they made it sound like to a 29 year old man, that was different. I acted like it was different because they wanted me to act like it was different, but I didn't understand. <laughs> so I just started shaking hands. I started smiling and being a nice guy, getting mad ain't going to do nothing. So then the rumors came up of it was a bad match. And my mother called. Well, I watched me? the match and I'll be honest with you. It was bland, but it wasn't bad. Just psychologically, there was nothing special. I mean, in wrestling, what makes a good match is story. With Victoria, right. she would like, you know, pretend to rip her hair out because, oh, I'm going to kill you. That makes you intrigued. It was a blah match, but it was blah because we didn't know what to do. Nobody told us, hey, buddy, this is what we want, guys. I know WWE is a great place, but I've read the stories and they can screw you half the time. And keep in mind, the thing that nobody ever talks about, except me, of course, is the next week was Atlanta. Why would you not wait till the next week? I don't understand. Me neither. It's kind of weird. But the good side, though, I heard about some pretty good ribs on the road when you were, I heard about the Nasty Boys pooping in your bags. Heard about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I heard about them tying your bags into the ceiling to the, we had to get bolt cutters, which actually I learned buff. My father had to go with them, hanging up with the ceiling because some guys do that. They taped his bag shut, like to wow. the ceiling. So he had That's to like get bolt cutters to, open it up, but what they heard about was egg fights. 
So what's the best egg fight that you've done? The best egg fight was me and Sting, and it got really heated. We started doing the thing. Sting taught me this, that wrestlers would get eggs in their car, and when we're in the same city at same hotels, as you go into the gym or something, you park your car, and we'd pull up and like, bam, 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 hit, hit you with egg your car. An egg on a car can ruin it. If you don't go rinse it off, that egg will take the paint off a car. So we'd egg the car and everything. It was, everybody laughed and blah, blah, blah. Well, me and Sting had to rent two cars for this city we were in. I thought to him, I thought to myself, I go, I'm going to egg Sting's car. So we pull up at a red light and I get out and boom, 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 like 10 eggs on it. He's blown away. He's like, oh my God. So he tries to get me back, tries to get me back, and he can't. So we're at the building in Charlotte, North Carolina. We're at the show, and the fans there that saw this, Sting's chasing me around the building, and he's mad at me, and he's trying to hit me with an egg. He throws an egg at me. It hits me in the back, and it hurts so bad. It wasn't even funny. I do remember that. It was at the Independence Arena in Charlotte, North Carolina in, like, the mid-'90s. No, what I would have done is, this is, if there was a lot of people in the hot tub, I would drive by, like, hot tub and go, Boom, 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 like right by the hot tub. Like there's the railing. You got your hot tub. Drive your car right by the railing. Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> that would have been good. That's what I would have done. So we'll wrap it up here. So these are just now for fun. So what is your paradise meal or favorite food and why is it your favorite? You know the old saying, you are what you eat? Yes. That's a true statement. And if you realize it's true, I mean, if you eat crappy food, then you're going to look crappy. If you eat pizza and hot dog and tacos, you're going to be a pizza, a taco, and hot dogs and stuff. I like steak and broccoli. A steak, that's what my dad is. Now, how do you like it cooked? Medium rare, medium well? Medium rare. Medium rare, that's the way my dad likes it. We, I like mine medium rare too, actually. Like, it's really, it needs to have some pink on there, I think. So what is your favorite movie or TV show, and why do you like it? My favorite movie is The Gladiator, and I like it because it reminds me of pro wrestling. Marcus Aurelius has to win the crowd to win his freedom, and his name's Marcus. So it reminds me of me being a pro wrestler. Win the people, you win your stardom. When he won the people, he won his freedom. So it's got the same kind of storyline. He's fighting for his life. He's fighting for his future he's fighting for his career he's fighting for his life and it's the same thing we were doing except we were doing it for money and we we're trying to fight for our, our lives now what is your favorite vacation and why did you enjoy that vacation very much my favorite vacation ever was probably south lake tahoe nevada it was a ski resort out there called heavenly it's just a great place to go snow skiing south lake tahoe it was a trip i took after my first divorce and i took five of my best friends all to south lake tahoe and it was a great time to do all that it was just to see all my friends you know together with me and having fun and we spent new years out there and there's gambling and there's partying and a lot of fun and just it was my it was definitely no doubt about it my best trip i ever took would you say it's better than las vegas vegas is my favorite city so it reminds me a lot of vegas because south lake tahoe is literally right on the nevada line so you got california and you got nevada when you go up the ski lift on the heavenly slopes. When you get to the top of the ski lopes, it says California this way, Nevada that way. So you literally can go ski in the state of California or you can go ski in the state of Nevada. So right there on the Nevada, California line is also casinos, clubs, partying. So right on the line 
is Las Vegas. And then right on this line was California. So it was a great, great, great vacation and a great place to go vacate. So my final question is this. So are there any good memories that you want to tell us about? If you do, why do you remember that memory the most? So before you answer, I would like a sentimental memory that made you feel good inside and a funny memory that made you fall on the floor laughing. Let's see. That's a tough one, man. Um... I've never been asked that question. I got one. What about the time you, uh, after your, um, what, what documentary? Let me find that. So you were on that documentary, docu-series, excuse me, with DDP. You said yeah. after you felt clean and you weren't, but you did feel. Could that be one, maybe? That is one. But, you know, sentimental. When I broke my neck and I was paralyzed for eight minutes. I mean, for eight minutes, my brain, the human brain, was 100% convinced I was paralyzed. That's that's a long time. So when I was able to move again, the feeling I had, buddy, of being crippled to being able to move again was so unbelievable. I was so happy. It was a very sentimental moment for me to be able to move again. I was almost crippled forever, and all of a sudden I was fine. So that was a very sentimental thing. I think maybe the... You know, on the same trip that Arn Anderson and Sid Vicious had the big fight, that was in England. On that same trip, that was the same trip where we had the baby face bus and the heel bus. It was the A bus and the B bus. And the B bus had all the bad guys on it. And it was just a horrific, crazy trip. It was so, so funny. But one night, the Nasty Boys, me and Tuco were wrestling the Nasty Boys, England and Germany. And the Nasty Boys were on that same bus. We were in an angle with them on the shows. And that one night, they shaved the guy's head, the ring announcer, and drew swatskas all over him, and they urinated on him. It was horrible. And we thought we were going to get fired for it, but instead, they made it part of me and Scorpio wrestling them. So every night, that announcer would take his hat off and let the fans see what the Nasty Boys did to him. And me and Scorpio were the baby faces wrestling the Nasty Boys. So we were so popular and so over. The crowd really wanted us to win. So we won in Germany. And it was just a great, great, hilarious time. I can imagine that ringing out. So people like, what the heck happened to him? It was horrible. I mean, it was like, rum, rum, rum. It, was, it was cut every different way. It was just, I mean, instead of cutting it off, WCW made a storyline out of it and it worked. Yeah, it did. But you saying that was disaster. That's not disaster. It's from the plane ride from hell. That was bad. It was, it was It was the plane ride from hell, except it was on a bus. It was exactly the same craziness. Ending with Sid Vicious and, and Arn doing what they did. But it was a crazy trip. Alex Wright also got hired on that trip. Mick Foley got his ear cut off on that same trip. All of that happened on the same trip. Well, Buff, I think that's all. Is there anything you'd like to say before we head out of here? Man, I just really appreciate it. I'm very proud of you for doing a great job. And just want to say thanks so much to all my fans out there just hanging with me. And thank you so much for taking time today and doing this one. You did a great job. Also, for me, if you want to get in touch with me, it's you go to MarcusBuffBagwell.com. MarcusBuffBagwell.com takes you to all my platforms, takes you to my Twitter Facebook, Instagram, or my email address is MarcusBuffBagwell at gmail.com. That's for any kind of booking information or anything like that. Thanks for joining me for this episode. Please tune in for another episode coming in very soon. I hope you enjoy listening to me ramble. Thank you very much. Bye.